Download recorded Thursday, September 28, 2017. This is episode 23. They didn't mention Windows once. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am your host, Jason Snell, and this week I'm joined, as always, by two wonderful guests. Editor-in-chief of the Supersite for Windows, Lisa Schmeiser, is back. Hello. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. I love doing this podcast. There's a lot of Microsoft business happening this week, so uh, I'm glad you could come back and and explain it all to me, because I don't understand half of it. Um, there's quantum computing though. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk about that in a, in a it's parallel, very quantum. <laughs> in, in a parallel universe. We'll talk about that. Also executive mm-hmm. editor of PC world, Melissa Rio Frio is back. Hi, Melissa. Hello. Great to be here. We're very happy to have you. All right, let's get to it. The most interesting stories of the week is chosen by me. And of course, download producer Stephen Hackett, who uh, was surprised or relieved that Amazon held a surprise <laughs> event this week. A little bit of both, you know. One of those one of those weeks we're looking at the news, it's quiet, and then Amazon dumps fourteen hundred new Echo products on the market. So we're plenty to talk about. Yeah, and they did it in a way where they like embargoed the people who were going to the event, so we didn't even know there yeah. was an event until it's really odd. Yeah, it was surprising. Well, that brings us to it. Topic number one: surprise! It's an Amazon event. <laughs> Amazon uh, released a whole bunch of or announced a whole bunch of stuff uh, to, to come out. There's a ninety nine dollar Amazon Echo that's new and smaller and has uh, a kind of a Google Home look to it with its like a uh, kind of cloth ish outside sort of thing and what they say are improved speakers although uh, who knows it'd be hard not to improve the speakers on the existing amazon echo to be honest there's a 149 echo plus that looks very much like the previous echo um but it comes with a light bulb now not kidding comes with a light bulb and uh the echo buttons are a thing that is like if you imagine that game simon except each button was its own standalone button uh that's it you play games with with uh amazon on echo with uh, little buttons uh and and uh, many more the echo spot is a like round screened little clock radio slash echo i'm not even quite sure what it is for 130 dollars um okay so there are so many amazon (laughs) echoes i like the amazon echo too but now there are a billion of them so i guess my first question for you is um for all you is is this too many echoes is what's i mean it's great that amazon is leaning into the echo where they've had such success but there are it is a whole huge product line now and i'm having even as a user uh, trouble getting keeping in mind they also still have the echo show which they released a little while ago and the echo look which we talked about on this show um lots of echoes out there lisa is there uh, are there too many echoes what are they doing so bear in mind that my bias as a consumer is for a really simple tightly curated product line uh like I think one of the smartest things Steve Jobs did when he came back to Apple was just set up the grid and pare everything down. And it made it really easy for people to say, oh, I want X and Y. Oh, here is my product. So with all of the Amazon Echo products that are coming out, and and really there seems to be an infinite amount, I think what they're doing is something that's worked for them as a retailer, which is to offer a frillion products and um, kind of see how the data shakes out in terms of what stays and what goes. Um, 
I don't know if it's going to work for them for this, because there's a huge difference between getting on Amazon and saying, oh, good, there are 60 different types of swim goggles I could buy. I look forward to scrolling through them all and saying, oh, good, there are dozens of Amazon Echo products I could pick out. Let me assess how to put how to cobble together my own personal tech ecosystem. Um, we're talking about an- this is what this is, is it's ambient technology. The idea that they're trying to push forward is you can literally set up your house so that you have Echo all the way through and it makes your life easier and it makes it convenient and makes it more entertaining. But um, I think they would have more success with this type of thing if they sold packages and outlined use cases for it. Like, oh, you want to buy... Um, a whole bunch of these Alexa gadgets and these five buttons and um, this this brand new Alexa speaker because this these are the cool things you can do with it. Um, basically, package it up and spoon feed it to people. Melissa, what do you think about uh, so many Amazon Echoes? You're you're we already know you're on on the record right as being anti uh, box listening to you in your house, right? I am I am so on record about that. <laughs> even even the box knows. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm coming from the uh, different perspective from Lisa, where I do not like closely curated, controlled environments. I'm at PC World, right? We like chaos. We like being able to stick in our own stuff if we want to and take it out and switch it out in a year and keep updating and not have to buy the same laptop for three years. Apple. um, And I I uh, personally uh, am... Uh, not tying myself to any one ecosystem. Like everything in my house is totally different because I don't want to be dependent on anyone. I am also extremely concerned that Amazon Alexa products appear to be breeding. Don't they understand that there's an overpopulation problem? (laughs) Very, very concerned. Um, But more seriously, um, I would say that, first of all, I really admire, however grudgingly, that Amazon is trying to make a device that can literally fit into every single corner of your home and even get lost under the sofa cushions. Like, you know, I, I totally see someone like vacuuming and picking up echo buttons that have rolled under the sofa. Um, <laughs> you know, or their, or their dog or cat's going to sit on it and suddenly things are going to happen. And I'm really scared about this photograph that they have in their um, webpage online about the echo buttons where there are these four very uh, hiply dressed, very carefully multiracial people apparently playing a game uh, with the Echo show or whatever that thing is called. But, okay, so I'm going to calm down for a minute. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I actually um, I do agree with Lisa that I think Amazon is trying to figure out how many ways they can get you to interface directly with them in your home Um uh, I'm not sure about how the buttons will work, but I really love the little Magic 8-Ball uh, yeah. Echo. I should add that I'm also suspicious of Amazon's, um, all of their initiatives. I'm suspicious to the point where I'm like, what data are they collecting and how are they going to repackage it, use it, and profit from it? And the thing that gets me about the Amazon gadgets and the buttons with the social gaming is I'm, I'm wondering, in order to, how, how is your activity going to get tracked here? And how are they going all of it all the time? I know. And how are they going to monetize it? And um, how locked into the ecosystem are you? And 
is this going to be a thing where Amazon Prime members get one level of activity and people who are not Prime members get another? Or is this a thing where, oh, you can be a Prime member, but if you're a Prime member and you do these games and we have this much data on you, you get more perks? Um, Amazon is a company that has shown that it will not hesitate to tie perks to specific levels of economic activity. And with ambient computing, where, like you said, it's everywhere, it's all, you know, it's it's the box, it's listening all the time. With ambient computing, where it is doing things like monitoring your activities and your data requests and how you interface with the machine, if it wants more data, what kind of carrots and sticks are Amazon customers about to experience in their quest to get the data? And um, this raises a corresponding thing, which is, what are your rights here? Um, the thing that bugs me the most about all of, uh, about all of this move to, to ambient computing in general is you really have no idea um, what data is being collected, how secure it is, how often it's being packaged and resold, to whom it's being resold, and why it's being sold. And since you are effectively the product which, by the way, you've paid to be, since you're effectively the product, shouldn't you know this stuff? Well, you can get your Amazon data, yeah. but you're right. They, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you know, they don't get to use it. Yeah. Um, that said, the, the story about uh, Amazon making Big Mouth, Mouth Billy Bass part of its Alexa ecosystem. Yeah, yeah I, um, I neglected to mention that, that, that uh, the, the, the Billy the Big Mouth Bass uh, that you put on your wall and it sings songs, it can be, I believe, not. it's not going to be a full-fledged echo, but it's part of the ecosystem. You can tell it to like activate and play things and it will do it which is not a hoax, people. Not a hoax. See, this seems like something you would do for someone you hate. Um. (laughs) Someone who lives five minutes from Mississippi and about 15 minutes from Arkansas, I think it's going to be a huge hit, guys. Like, it's... (laughs) Probably. So, my favorite favorite Internet of Things review on Amazon, um, which is also one of my favorite cautionary tales, is for a, a man who was writing about a thermostat that you can remotely control via your smartphone, you know, which is... It's, it's bog standard for Internet of Things stuff, right? And the reason he loves this so much is because his now ex-partner kicked him out of the house and moved her boyfriend in. But she either doesn't know or neglected to revoke his access to the thermostat. And so as a result, he's programmed his phone to mess with their ambient temperature constantly. And he writes about the, he writes about, oh, this is great because I can program it to go up to 95 degrees at three o'clock in the morning. I've turned off the heat in the middle of the day for them. Um, and, and I read that and I was like, wow, this is, this is really a vivid example of using this technology for evil rather than good. <laughs> um, and I sort of see the big, I, I, I see the big mouth Billy Bass going the same way where if you've got like a really <laughs> aggressive or hostile household situation, like one member is going to use it to begin inflicting a reign of terror on everybody else. I just to take it back one step from that that super stalkery and creepy example that you gave. Um, I I have to uh-huh. admit my daughter um, often is in the sh- she takes a shower in our shower even though she's got the kids have a, we have a second bathroom because it's not good enough for her and sometimes she's in there <laughs> she's in there way too long and uh, I let her know that she's been in there way too long by uh, playing Kenny Rogers the Gambler very loudly on the connected speaker that's in that bathroom <laughs> and that drives her out that drives her out of our bathroom. So it oh can be God, used. There are lots of uses here. There are lots of uses for good and evil is what I'm saying. Oh, 
the it's the FBI terrorism tactic where they play the music outside the club. Yep. yep. Yeah. Or or um, what is it? The the Manuel Noriega didn't they play heavy metal music outside of yeah. his compound in Panama mm-hmm. at one point? Just to yeah. yeah um, hey, Stephen, you've got some of these like I do. What do you what do you think about the added eight thousand new Echo products? Do they <laughs> do they fit somewhere in your in your conception of where these things go? I mean, I, I think for me. I'm still very much a fan of the the Echo and especially the Dot because it's so cheap, it's so small, and you know the speaker's not very good. I think we can get to that. That in these new products, the speakers Amazon is saying will be better. If that's true, then I'm looking forward to upgrading at least one of mine in the kitchen because the speaker's not great even in the full Echo. But yes, I kind of view it as like the Echo, the Dot. Maybe they're the mainstream ones, and then all this other stuff. I'm not particularly interested in like I. I the spot doesn't do anything for me, even though people on Twitter were like very excited about about it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll upgrade for the music quality because we use ours as a connected speaker all the time. But past that, it, I'm not sure these sort of other products that this branching out really does much for me. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about the dot is you can kind of attach it to another set of speakers or whatever as you as you see fit, and uh, and you can get better quality out of it if you want. I I have a uh, bought several Echoes over the years. I really have one that I use at all, and it's the one that's in the kitchen. I have yet to, uh, you know, I, I think this will fit in with what Melissa is feeling and probably Lisa, which is I kind of don't want an Amazon Echo listening to me in the bedroom. I'm not interested in that. Like, I, I want some places that are more private. And, I, you know, I don't want a camera in my house at all that is active. And I don't want a microphone in any place but, like, the kitchen area where I've, I'm willing to have it. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm... I'm more skeptical about seeding these things throughout my house. I also kind of like the fact that there's only one area of my house where I can accidentally trigger the lady in the canister and the rest of the places. I can say those words freely without fear. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess guess what I take from this is Amazon is very good at identifying uh success and and basically killing their failures like the fire phone and the echo was kind of a wacky idea and it worked and so now we're going to see lots of them and some of them are going to crash and burn it's true but uh, uh you know amazon thinks it's got a, 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 a it's pressing its its advantage over its competitors here instead of uh, instead of like fading into the background as apple and google and microsoft step forward amazon is doing uh quite the opposite they are putting thousands of people apparently working on uh, alexa and the echo products so uh good for them i like to i like to see them playing the game even though i look at a lot of these products and think eh, more of okay you know it's hard, hard for me to get excited about them i just bought uh, another echo I, i'm not sure i need to buy another one on top of it but yeah everybody's different everybody there's there's an ecosystem there's an echo for everyone now like literally literally there's one for everyone everyone gets one i think now. their biggest challenge is trying to connect the echo for everybody to all of the different market segments they have um and and this goes back to me saying that what they should do is they should suggest bundles to people or they should walk you through you know do you need x then y um they're really good at creating frictionless retail experiences. And if the goal is to get people to buy a piece of technology once, that's great. But um, with ambient computing, the goal is, is, is you want, you want to fully incorporate your computing experience into people's lives. So it's practically invisible and they come to rely on it without thinking too hard about it. And they're going to have to kind of step up 
how they present products to people as opposed to just flinging things out and saying, here, let's see what lands. And I, I don't think that I don't think they get customer experience yet. And when you move from stuff, when you move from shipping stuff to shipping a service, you kind of need to build out customer experience. You have to admit that like one of the things that Amazon is not known for is its high touch ability to um, to make people feel taken care of. Well, um, much more to come on this show about Amazon and other and Microsoft. Uh, but first, I want to take a really quick break to tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode of Download is brought to you by MailRoute, a secure hosted email filtering service that you can have up and running in just minutes. MailRoute gets rid of spam and viruses, so you don't have to. You can trust MailRoute to get the job done. They've been doing this for longer than anyone else for the last 20 years. They've been leading the way in email security. They're the trusted authority, and they're so good at what they do. So they have the highest uptime guarantee in the industry, 99.999%, lots and lots of nines. What I like to do when I talk about MailRoute is give you uh, some of the spam subjects that are uh, that are topping the charts this this time, uh, because what MailRoute is great at is they send you a little email with all the stuff that, uh, that they filtered out. And if there's something in there that they shouldn't have filtered out, with one click, you can get it delivered and have that person added to your whitelist so that they never get filtered out again. Uh, this week, my top uh, spam subject matter, all capital letters. Did you get my email? Question mark. One K three. I don't really know why one K three is at the end of it and what that means. I did get your email. It was spam. I didn't read it. Also, I got one again, all caps, all caps is a big thing with spammers reply as soon as possible. I will not reply because you sent me spam. And then finally lottery results from the Netherlands. Um, Great. I didn't play this week in the Netherlands, so I'm not going to check that. And also, it was spam. Anyway, you can find out much more about MailRoute by going to mailroute.net slash downloadfm and sign up today to get a 30-day free trial and 10% off a lifetime of your account. And if you need it, MailRoute will even price match a competitor's contract. Thank you to MailRoute for your your support of download. Okay, before we move off of the Amazon topic, I wanted to at least bring up the, uh, the Fire TV news as well apple or uh, amazon see i said said apple there so many products this is like an apple like rain of products coming down on us fire tv 4k hdr for what is it steven 69 dollars is that right yeah i think so yeah it's crazy cheap and uh then compare that with the apple 4k uh, apple tv 4k which is uh like 150 dollars more yeah. four thousand dollars yeah that's approximately so uh fire fire tv is another area where they feel that amazon feels that they've got some some real opportunity and and uh these low cost 4k hdr uh little little streamers are um on one level, I think it really is smart for them to make these things so cheaply. On another level, these things are being attached to incredibly expensive TVs, which makes me think that maybe Apple's right to try and get more money out of the people who need 4K and HDR. But, uh, you know, where, where does uh, where does Amazon... Does anybody here have an Amazon Fire TV? Any? Do any of you have one of these? No, I have an Apple TV. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah, I I have a Fire TV mostly out of curiosity because, you know, I think as a Prime member, you can like get one packed into a box for almost nothing. Uh, so I did. And uh, it's not bad. It's not it's not a bad interface. It's Amazon's app store is a little bit weird. But um, 
it and it obviously is pushing Amazon stuff, but you can also watch Netflix from it and CBS All Access. If you want to watch Star Trek, you can get all of that on the on the Fire TV <laughs> too. Yeah. So you've now you've now listed a compelling reason for me to get the Fire TV. Yeah, well, but you can but you've got an Apple TV, so you can get CBS yeah. on that one too. So um, also true. Yeah, and, and Amazon presumably will be on Apple TV soon. Yeah, we don't. Well, this comes back to a completely different topic, which is there are so many streaming services at this point with so much good TV. Even if I wanted to have my Apple TV hook up to Amazon so I could watch all the stuff I have access to on Prime, I don't know if I have the time to watch any of it. So, you know, yeah. I'm not I'm, I'm not too worked up about it yet, but I should also point out I'm also not watching anything on Prime where it's really important to me to be able to watch it on a TV and not on a small screen. Boy, uh, so the, the enthusiasm for 4K HDR is contagious is what I'm... <laughs> <laughs> what I'm it's sensing what here. It so is, excited. This is a table. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is a table stakes product in a way. It, it does all the things, and it's sixty nine dollars, right, or fifty nine dollars, or whatever it is. And it's like it's a it's a great price, and it's there, and they will uh, probably sell a lot of them, and it su- supports almost everything except for Apple stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, good for them. I think what's interesting too is they're bundling the Fire TV with some different stuff. So it's seventy bucks for the Fire TV. It's 80 bucks, and they just throw in an Echo Dot in the box on the way out the door. <laughs> and then for five, five – oh, these are introductory prices you know, for now. But at $74.99 gets you the Fire TV and an HD antenna so you can pipe in access to local channels wow. and route that through your Fire TV, which is something that a lot of these other boxes like the Apple TV doesn't have – has no knowledge of that, of that sort of HD local broadcast. So – you know, Amazon can sort of leverage this stuff and put things together in interesting bundles where Apple and other players can't. All right. Uh, I want to move on and talk about Microsoft. Microsoft Ignite was this week. Um, and I, I think uh, I'm, I'm relying on my guests to help me ex- understand what, what uh, went down. But before that, I want to at least share with the listeners a story they might have missed that uh, is kind of interesting. And so I thought I would share it with you. And it is... How well did the Essential Phone do? This is Andy Rubin's, uh, uh, who founded Android, uh, his first phone. Analyst group Bay Street says that Essential Products has sold an estimated 5,000 phones through Sprint since it's made its retail debut earlier this month. It's a $699 pure Android device sold only on Sprint. Titanium, ceramic, magnetic modular add-ons, no logos, no bloatware, and 5,000 sold, which is... Um, not a lot, not a lot, uh, big investment in essential. Maybe it will continue to grow, but the first numbers are out and they are small. And this is not the first time that somebody has come out with a, uh, a new Android phone and discovered that they, uh, it's a tough market to be in with Apple on one side and Samsung on the other. So that's, uh, that's what's up with the essential, uh, phone for so far, 5,000 and counting, we'll say, um, Let's move on and talk about Microsoft Ignite, which happened in Orlando this week. Um, lots of announcements there. I mentioned earlier uh, Microsoft's working on like programming language for quantum computers, which is like something that's still not. I, I believe their language is sophisticated enough to um, to support computers not yet invented, uh, which is I like the forward thinking of that. Um, they, they there was an announcement that Microsoft and Facebook ha- went in on a, a, a transatlantic undersea cable that is now. Ca- 
connected that is going to have huge uh, bandwidth between the U.S. and Europe. Um, but Lisa, you know, I know you watch this closely from the perspective of uh, Super Cipher Windows. So tell me what uh, to, what to your mind, what are the big uh, big things to take away from Microsoft this week? You've, you've asked a big question. I'm going to try to organize it into a number of easily digestible answers. Thank you. <laughs> the first big takeaway, when Nadella took over as CEO, uh, among the things that he did, one of the first things he did was tell everybody, we need to, we need to change how we're looking at computing. We have to recognize that it, that from a customer and user perspective, computing is essentially the collection of data they carry around with them wherever they go. And that, shape the mobile first cloud first focus the company had for a few years where they were like everything that we make and everything we do we're going to move to world where cloud computing is the given that is your infrastructure that's where you are and we're also going to move to the idea that computing is done across multiple devices you're no longer just sitting at a desk to do your job or you're hauling a laptop around you and your stuff moves between um moves between a phone and a tablet and a laptop and, and this and that and the cloud is what helps you move around. So that was actually a pretty big thing when it first hit because you have a lot of people who are strictly on-premises customers. It's a lot of message to take in and it's a real challenge for a lot of Microsoft's customers, especially in, say, um, an educational or government sector where you don't have bottomless IT budgets and your purchases have to last a fairly long time. That said... It seems pretty evident that this keynote was supposed to be, yeah, we're done with mobile and cloud because as far as we're concerned, that's come to pass. And so now the next big things we're focusing on are AI and um, quantum computing and um, AI quantum computing and digital transformation, i.e. they're like at this point. What we're now about is making sure you can intelligently process all of your information the way you can. And to that point, they're continuing to integrate AI into like different, there are different flavors of AI. They're continuing to integrate that both into their, their corporate services like Azure and into, uh, and into the stuff that people who do not run, who, 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 you know, People, people like me, basically, who use Office, uh, they get that too. And the big things you want to get out of it, um, are that um, they're bringing intelligent search to LinkedIn and aggressively incorporating LinkedIn into Microsoft 365. Um, they will be, uh, I'm, I'm looking through the rest of my notes here. Um, they are really big into the idea that with AI, you'll be able to boost your productivity by automating simple tasks and activities. Um, and they are really big into pushing collaboration as the way people work, where instead of having all of your work siloed in one place where I sent an email, I have this calendar, I will share data when I need to. The idea is going to be that everybody can, is that an intelligent agent will be able to say, Hey, I know that five of you are working on this project together. You all have this time free. Why not get together? Or Microsoft Teams, um, they're, they're adding all sorts of enhancements to that. And they are eventually migrating Skype for business to Teams, which tells you that they're betting big on um, virtual shared workspaces. And voice is just part of that workspace. It's no longer a voice-first workplace uh, in terms of collaborating with far-flung colleagues. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the keynote, they he, he brought out, Nadella brought out like this terrifying Penelope of... Uh, of, of quantum computer scientists, like theoretical physicists and uh, mathematicians, and tried to explain quantum computing to the rest of us. And uh, the 
basic gist is when you switch from the computing model we have now, which is circumscribed by Moore's law and relies on binary to computing where you literally do not have the same state. The computer is literally not in the same state from, from microsecond to microsecond that increases the computational speed and the data capacity. And the idea is that this, this, this new bigger type of computer will be able to handle bigger volumes of data, analyze them more quickly and come back with solutions more quickly at the same time. Um, the more practical and actionable thing that came out of this is that, yes, they've come up with a language for writing applications to interface with the computer. So um, they're, they're basically trying to, trying to set the tone for what they see as the next big trends. It's worth noting, I'm monologuing here, I promise I'm almost done. It's worth noting that IBM has been working on quantum computing for some time. I believe GE does too. So in terms of building a computer, Microsoft is regarded as being slightly behind the curve. But they're being very aggressive by, by saying, yeah, we're staking a business strategy on this. And we are going to model and come up with solutions for this. The same way that they consistently model HoloLens as, as a corporate and educational tool which, by the way, they also did here. So so it was a really forward-looking keynote in a lot of ways. Um, and in terms of the practical sessions, when you look at it, a lot of it is basically walking people through the shifts, like this is what Microsoft Teams is now. This is what it's going to be. This is what Skype is now. This is what it's going to turn into. This is what you can do in Azure now. This is what you'll be able to do. Um, so that... It's it's res- it was very resolutely forward looking. Um, we're all going to have to get a whole lot. We're going to have to get much more comfortable with the idea that we will have our software talking back to us and and, and asking, "Is this really how you want to do that?" <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see how people adjust to that. It's it's hard to start to think of what exactly Microsoft is is one of these companies that I feel like is a little slippery, kind of like Google in the sense that they have huge ambitions and it's a little bit harder to understand where all they're going outside of their traditional area. Like Google's got some traditional product areas, search, obviously, and even something like Google Google uh, Apps I would throw in there. And Microsoft, it's obviously office productivity. And yet, then they stand on stage and talk about quantum computers and things like that. And it's a very different kind of, uh, a different kind of Microsoft. So is... So do you know what's helped me wrap my brain around that part? What? Is, is HoloLens. Um and and this is how is Microsoft whipped out their little, um, you know, they've got the HoloLens, which is their their virtual reality headset. And, you know, when they came out with that, there was a whole lot of, yeah, there's already Oculus Rift or oh, we've seen how Google Glass works. Hint, it doesn't snort, snort um, and things like that. And what Microsoft did is they put together this product and then they went out and they made a partnership with NASA and said, let's develop a use case where you use the HoloLens with someone at the space station so that we can see if remote um, if remote teaching works. You know, the idea being that if an astronaut on a space station has a HoloLens, instead of having to send up somebody who's a physicist and a trained mechanic or who's a botanist and somebody who can, you know, also troubleshoot a console, you send up somebody who's good at one thing, but you can walk them, but like mission control can walk them through training by having them put on the HoloLens and go from there. Um, so they built that use case. They teamed up with retailers to say, all right, this is how you can use augmented and extended reality using a HoloLens. Um, they effectively walked people how they think the technology can be used, and they've started to create kind of a cascading demand for it. Um, 
you know, with the demos that they did with HoloLens in the keynote, they did one where they showed how using a combination of Microsoft Teams and HoloLens, a bunch of automotive engineers have been able to prototype and, and rapidly prototype and build out a new type of car. What I think is if they succeed with quantum computing, what they're going to do is they'll pick a problem to solve. Like, we need to find a vaccine for this really tricky type of virus, or we need to define a new encryption standard and show how tough it is to break it. They'll team up with an organization. They'll come up with a use case. They'll drop a hole here. This is what we did. And then their and then their sales force will basically use that to go out and say, okay, with quantum computing, you can come up with a plan for handling pandemics or with quantum computing, you can come up with a comprehensive security plan because bots are threatening to flood social networks or with compre- with quantum computing, you can do an environmental model to predict how hurricanes are going to fall and then prep your disaster landing. Um, the way they're positioning quantum computing is you will be able to do a tremendous amount of rapid data analysis that will allow you to then do your job. And so I think that their, I think that their, their, their launch strategy is going to be really similar to HoloLens, which is we're into this really cool idea. We're going to create a use case. We'll see if it sticks. Um, now, mind you, with HoloLens, I feel like they're only about 33% of the way through the process. I feel like we'll see a really big sign of success if and or when a major engineering school announces that incoming freshmen have to have a HoloLens because they're going to be using augmented reality as part of a CAD modeling course or as part of you know the, the engineering classes and the, the calculus required to build bridges. I feel like once HoloLens is required for professional training, either an architecture school or an engineering school, that's when we'll see that the strategy is working. But that seems to be what they do is they generally create a use case, convince the organization to come on, trot out the success and then build on that. And I think that I think that they're doing it with AI now because they, they, they've certainly trotted out, you know, oh, we had Nike, which learned from X, Y, Z. And um, they, they've trotted out some successes with AI and they'll probably do the same once they manage to get to a point where they have a, a, a quantum computer that is more than just we're working on it. We totally yeah. are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Melissa, so. on on the uh, working at PC world, like my, Microsoft has obviously changed in its in its uh what its focus is has has broadened and changed since Satya Nadella has been in charge. Has that affected you at PC World, or is the world of Windows and the PC still kind of on a on a uh, on, on the same trajectory it's been on for a while? I think Windows is going to change a lot. Um, uh, I think it's necessary to say, as as Lisa alluded to before, Microsoft is like five years late to all of this advanced computing stuff. Uh, I mean, NVIDIA, for God's sake, was already working on this five years ago, and they're not even a software company. Um, So congratulations, Microsoft. You're late to the party. But uh, the reason that they need to be there is because um, uh, people are going to expect to be able to, um, you know, handle these complex problems with a computer. Um, It's going to be really, really expensive initially, you know. Watson, uh, all these, uh, the computers that NVIDIA is make, already making for universities cost, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, but, uh, but they need to do that because, uh, yes, Windows, which used to be their big flagship product, uh, has to get beyond the desktop and into the now cloud-connected greater world where it's just an entry point for you to get to your Azure um, 
application or your quantum computing application. And so um, uh, I think it's really exciting that um, uh, Microsoft did, did, for instance, come out with the HoloLens and augmented reality before any other competing companies came out with their product. And while it has been slow to um, uh, develop, uh, again, because it's super expensive, and so you do have to start with corporations who are willing to put out that kind of money, um, the same thing happened actually with the first wearable glasses where Google came out with their silly glasses and a couple of others. But the real money, the only place where it's doing anything is in corporate applications where people use the glasses and they're walking around and seeing inventory numbers and arrows and pick this. And so um, the the same thing is happening at Microsoft. They need to, um, to move into this connected world. <sighs> so... Um, Something that Lisa mentioned about that HoloLens isn't going to take off until everyone has to use it. Um, you know, the cheapest headsets they have right now that don't even do everything that HoloLens does are like $300. Yeah. And so if you're asking a college kid <clears throat> to buy a laptop and then buy this thing for another, you know, 300 more more dollars, you know, that's the cost issue is, is, is definitely a barrier. And so I think they're going to be stuck in corporations that can afford $250,000 supercomputers for a while. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think, uh, and I said this before, but I think it's worth saying again, what I like about Satya Nadella's tenure at Microsoft is that Microsoft is doing new things and is uh, open to new possibilities and is not resting on uh, its past successes or, or trying to hoard the past successes and keep them alive as long as possible. It's really striking out in new directions. And I love it. I, I think uh, I think it's made Microsoft one of the more interesting companies in the tech world at a time when it could have very easily just kind of gone into a shell and become uh, what I think Steve Ballmer honestly really wanted it to be, which is just the maintenance organization for Windows. And um, it's not. And uh, that's great to well, see. But let's be honest. I mean, the big money is still an Office 365 subscription. Yeah. It's true. Although, I mean, with even with Office, I mean, Office 365 going beyond Windows and becoming this connected, uh, you know, connected suite that's got cloud components and is across all platforms, right? Like Office 365 is a great iPad product, too. So, you know, they're, they're, that's also like getting beyond like just worrying about it running on Windows. But it, I, I think it's, it's interesting to note that Microsoft and Google are both examples of tech giants whose... Uh, who who have very diverse investments for the future, but their revenue is not coming from particularly diverse sources. Um, you know, nope. but that's, if you take a look at where the revenue is, the bulk of it is actually still coming from computer sales, yep. and it's pretty evident that they're trying to build up their cloud sales to take over as PC sales begin to fall. And we're seeing some movement in that area, but yeah, like a substantial chunk of the revenue is is still PC sales. What was notable, and this speaks to Melissa's point about Windows and how radically it's changing, is um, I am reviewing my notes from the Microsoft Ignite keynote on Monday, and no one mentioned the word Windows once. Like it, like an entire keynote went by without Microsoft Windows being mentioned once. Um, we talked about Microsoft 365. They talked about Bing. They talked about um, Cortana. They talked about Office 365. Windows, or Windows 10 even, which has a which has an update about to drop not mentioned at all all right well this has been a good um 
eye-opening conversation about the current state of affairs at Microsoft. I, I appreciate all the, uh, the I appreciate the download, huh, of information from both of you. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, I should tell people what's going on next week. We'll be back next week, of course. Uh, there's a Sonos event next week, which is probably the some more Amazon uh, Echo Alexa integrated stuff, maybe probably. Uh, there's a Google Pixel event next week. So the new Google Pixel, which of course has, I think, already been uh, leaked, but uh, the official Google event will happen next week. Uh, so there's much more to look forward to. The train, and maybe there'll be, Amazon will have some more surprise events. Who knows? They could they could do it at any time now, Stephen. We, we, you never know. They could just pop right up. Boop. Here we are. Uh, They're always ready. Yeah, yeah. Got to be ready for Amazon. They could be in that bush or uh, over there behind that wall, and uh, they spring <laughs> out and give you a new Kindle. It could happen. Um, that, that brings us to the end of this week's edition of Download. Melissa Rio Frio, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, they can go to PCWorld.com. Excellent. And Lisa Schmeiser, what about you? Where can people find your stuff? You know, start with me and Twitter. It's... Uh at L Schmeiser, L-S-C-H-M-E-I-S-E-R, and I link to the stuff that I do there. Awesome. And Stephen Hackett, thank you for putting the show together, as you do almost every week. Always my pleasure, Jason. Thanks, Amazon, for your surprise contributions. And, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week, but until then, I've been your host, Jason Snell. We will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.